Finnovate showcases cutting-edge banking and financial technology through a global conference series featuring short-form demos and thought leadership. Now, the conversation continues on the Finnovate podcast. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Finnovate podcast. Joining me today, we have Laura Kornhauser, CEO and co-founder at Stratify. Stratify, another of the best of show winning companies from Finnovate Fall back in September. Laura, thank you so much for taking some time to be here with me today. Thanks so much for having me, Greg. Excellent. So to kick things off, just tell us a little bit about yourself and Stratify, where you guys are coming from. Absolutely. Uh, so my background is in financial services. So prior to starting Stratify, I spent over a decade at JP Morgan in lending and risk roles. During my time there, I noticed that there was a tremendous amount of opportunity at the intersection of, of finance technology and especially for regulated use cases uh, and decided to make the big leap to go out and search for my co-founders and, and find Stratify. What we do at Stratify is we help uh, credit and risk teams better assess uh, risk through what we say is real transparency. Uh, We also have a real focus on driving greater financial inclusion uh, and doing that by helping uh, financial institutions provide greater access to fairly priced financial uh, products to a wider group of individuals than historically have had that access in the past. Yeah, no, it's a really cool message, a cool product. And I would encourage anybody listening to check out their video at finnovate.com where you can see the full seven minutes of what Laura demoed up there on stage. Um, Before we jump into the product a little bit more, I'm just curious, how did you decide that this kind of credit lending space was an area that you really wanted to get involved with? So great question, Greg. So what really brought us to this space was actually personal experiences that me and my co-founder had where we both were actually denied of credit products uh, and we didn't fa- we didn't think those decisions were were fair or were the right decisions. And when we actually drilled down deeper into why we had been denied for those credit products, we found that it was because of effectively one bad indicator on, on our, our record um, that, that we really didn't think should be um, an indicator of our ability or willingness to pay in the, in the future. Um, I actually went so far because uh, I was rejected from uh, for a credit product by my former institution that I worked for for over a decade, Chase. I went so far as to you know call the number on the back of the of the letter and and dig into why I was rejected and actually be able to get that that decision overturned. But not everybody, um, I would say, has the the stubbornness to do that. Um, so for us, it really exposed us to to this space where um, financial institutions are missing out on some really great customers and some really great opportunities um, by by looking at uh, individuals, looking at borrowers in an overly rigid or I'll say two dimensional way. Um, and that's really what we're here to help uh, them solve. Yeah, well, you touched on something there that I think really was a central piece of your demo on stage, the idea of how much we are losing from a GDP standpoint, because we are beholden to a credit risk decisioning model, which quite frankly, has a lot of flaws in it. And this is Mm -hmm. leaving a lot of opportunity on the table, obviously, a lot of people frustrated, like the experience that you had. Um, And I think you had the stat that, you know, $13 trillion of GDP had been lost since the year 2000, which is just mind boggling. Can you you unpack that? a little bit and just give us some background on on where that number comes from? Yeah, absolutely. So that number is actually from a a report that Citigroup put put out in the year 2020 on on the the racial inequality uh, uh, that exists in our country. 
and and what the impact of that gap is on on our GDP. So that's where that number comes from. And really what that is, is is lost productivity, lost economic opportunity that is a result of these lending decisions that that fundamentally leave certain people out and, and systematically leave certain people out of our financial system, which then means that those folks can't build wealth for themselves, for their communities, um, for their families. Um, and that's, you know, both both those that are discriminated against for for individual loan products, so um, for consumer loan products, um, but also for small business loans. Um, and that's really an opportunity that we're helping our customers, lenders uh, go after and 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 really uh, mitigate. Yeah, and I think it's a obviously there's a couple of different pieces here. There's the idea that there are specific groups of people who have been you know unfairly left behind. There's also this kind of ripple effect idea that you know in some cases the right loan for the right individual or the right business can have this really outsized potential knock-on effect of you know allowing somebody to really take control of their financial future in a way that just isn't possible without access to credit. Um, now, I want to talk about this because you kind of talked about you know, the idea of bias in banking yeah. and bias in the lending process. Um, and I think it's really important that we kind of clarify what exactly you're talking about here, because you know, are you looking at this from the standpoint of, of systemic biases kind of baked into the system or you know, individual bad actors who are acting in a biased way? Or is it a combination mm-hmm. of both? Yeah. So really, the way we're looking at this is more focused on those systemic biases or systemic inequalities that are really baked into to our financial system. And, and they're baked in because there have been so many bias uh, policies, biased individuals, um, you know, just structural biases uh, that have been part of our financial system and lending in particular for decades. Um, so while I think today, you know, sure, are there bad actors out there? Obviously, there still are, but I don't really think that that's what's driving the majority of the inequality that we're seeing. I think it's what's baked into the system. And and because it's baked into the system, it's also baked into the data that we have and the data that we have about individuals. So, you know, another great stat um, I think to mention here is that um, 80% of individuals have never defaulted on a loan, but less than 50% of individuals have um, access to, to prime credit. Um, that's that's a stat across Americans. So uh, just just think about that for a second, um, folks. Eighty percent of folks, you know, uh, are, are good borrowers would always repay repay their debt. But the if you will, the data that we have about them to indicate whether or not they are a good borrower, um, their credit score um, indicates that they they are not a good borrower. So that data is just fundamentally wrong, or said another way, it's fundamentally biased. And as we are more and more using the historical data that we have about individuals to drive more automation in the uh, decisions that we make that truly impact their future, which, you know, providing access to credit is, as you mentioned, Greg, a decision that truly impacts someone's future. As we're using that data more and more, you know, with more powerful models, et cetera, it is so important that we are proactively searching out the ways in which that data is biased so that we can do something to address it, so that we can take proactive action to ensure that we are not encoding the biases of the past into the decisions of the future. 
Yeah. Well, I think one important thing to note here that you really didn't talk about is the idea that it's not, it's not anybody's fault necessarily. And I think people sometimes hear this phrase, you know, where there's, there's bias in the system and it can feel like it's a judgment value, you know, a value decision based on you, me as a person, you're saying, well, you are acting with bias. And that can be something which kind of instantly puts people on the defensive, which, you know, people take, I think probably justifiably as, as, you know, assault on their character. But what we're talking about here is not really about this individual level. And, And I think when people hear about bias and lending, recognizing that this is a structural problem. This is a, an overarching problem. And, and to your point earlier, it's just not correct. The data is not giving you an accurate perception of who is likely to repay a loan and who is not. And so mm-hmm. you know, I know the word bias can be sometimes a little bit off-putting, but at the same time, recognizing in this context, I think is, is really important. Yeah, we see that happen out there, Greg. And and if anything, you know, the individuals that that we come into contact with are the exact opposite of of that, right? They're 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 folks that are are proactively looking to make a change, proactively looking to take action, um, to again try to address these systemic issues, these issues that are baked into the system that that most of us inherited, right? Like the, that most of us were not the architects behind <laughs> yeah. the current system um, in place today, right? We inherited it. So um, we actually see that the individual actors are the ones that are, are trying to actually actually take, um, uh, take proactive stance, proactive action to change things, which, you know, we find really inspiring. And that's the work we're doing is, is to try to help them do that, to try to give them the tools and technologies to enable them to do that um, and enable them to do that at scale because this is a hard problem, right? It's a hard problem to solve. It's a hard problem to address, right? It's one that requires, as I I joke, it's not a set it and forget it issue, right? So it's not something that I can say, you know, okay, I I looked at this, I checked and and saw, hey, my model's not biased today. So that means it's going to be fine tomorrow. It's it's just not the way it works, right? Because then you put that that model out in the wild and and it experiences different things than 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 how how you may have built it or how you may have tested that. And that's not because whoever built the model did something wrong. Um that's just that's just the 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 way of the world, right? So yeah, um, I think what folks really need is is they need tools and they need technologies that enables them to take this more proactive stance um, because they want to be addressing these issues and they they want to be doing more um, to to ensure that these hard issues are are uh, solved. Yeah, well, and I think there's always going to be, you know, to your point, more and more technology available, more data available. We can continue to just get better and better at this. Um, you know, I suppose we've been slightly remiss and that we haven't actually talked too much about what Stratify does, you know, how you're specifically able to, you know, fight against this in a way yeah. um, where other people haven't been able to. Could you talk a little bit about, you know, what's kind of underneath the hood, so to speak? Absolutely. So our unbiased product that we demoed at, at Finnovate um, has really three key components. Those those key components are focused on first helping uncover um, bias in, in models and decisions and lending decisions. So helping uncover fair lending risks um, so that, that uh, folks can, can start to actually do something about it. The next piece is understand. That's number two. So how do I, if I have a risk, how do I understand what is actually driving it? If I understand what's actually driving it, if I have visibility that helps me um, uh, know what's behind the bias risk that, that is present now, then I can do the third piece, which is the critically important and ultimately the hardest piece to do, 
um, but a place that we feel we have a real competitive differentiation is in the undo piece. So, you know, now I see a risk, I know what's driving it. How do I actually take proactive, proactive action to, to uh, mitigate um, that bias from my model, from my decisions going forward? Um, what enables all of this for us, what enables us to be able to do this and, and do it in a way that we, we see as truly differentiated versus others available in the market is a core modeling technology that we've developed over the last decade plus that basically enables our users to get the benefits typically associated with machine learning. Automatic, uh, those benefits are automatic ex extraction of insights from data, um, easily uh, um, updated and rebuilt models um, at scale, um, ability to, to deploy these models dynamically into production for, for automated decisions, but do all of that in a way that it provides just orders of magnitude, differing levels of transparency or visibility into how the heck the model is actually working. So that is the huge piece that we think we do better than anybody else out there. You know, we're not building a black box model and then adding post hoc explainers that kind of sort of tell you how the model is working. We actually show you, if you will, the guts of the model and exactly how the model is working. What that means is you can then change it, <laughs> right? So that's important, right? So um, that's important for a variety of reasons, right? Um, you know, but it's really important around this this area of, of, of bias because as we have been talking about, right, even the best, you know, the best model uh, trained on on some, you know, heaps and heaps of, of great data is going to propagate forward the bias that is inherent in that data. And, and I always say it's not a question of if your data is biased, it's a question of how. So you need this visibility, the, the visibility we provide and the control to be able to change how the model is working to be able to actually address the bias that that is embedded in your data. You know, even just listening, listening to the way you talk about it, the idea of kind of getting yeah. past this black box, I think you understand yeah. the difference because, I mean, basically that's how credit decisioning is right now. You know, it goes into yeah. a big black box. You can't see what happens. And this is sort of what we've all been conditioned to expect. Um, you know, the idea that this sort of you know, arbiter, this decider will just sort of say, yes, no, thumbs up, thumbs down. And it is really difficult to get in there and make any kind of adjustment to it. The idea that it needs to be a living, breathing, you know, ecosystem is, is something which I think is really important. And again, as we get, as we move forward, there's only going to be more and more pieces which we can add to it to continue to yeah. get to that, you know, idealized, you know, fair reporting system, fair decision-making system. Um, you know, so obviously, you know, you did well up on the Finnovate stage. The audience responded really well to what you were, were saying up there. What has been the feedback from financial institutions that you've been getting so far? I mean, do you see at this point a, a push of people kind of recognizing that there's you know, more to be done here? Is there maybe an impetus to actually change things here? Yeah, so uh, we're receiving a tremendous response from from Finnovate, that's for sure, um, and that was both in person at the conference and and thankfully has really continued uh, post conference as well with with the follow ups and the inbounds that we've been getting, which has been really really wonderful. What we're seeing is um, one a real demand for a solution like this, um, a solution like Unbiased, that again, as I mentioned before, right recognizes that this is a hard problem to solve, um, but looks to uh, present that solution to the user in a way that is, you know, hopefully very intuitive, easy to work with, easy to follow, easy to track, easy to report, um, all of these kinds of things. It's really resonated really well with the audience. And what we've seen from financial institutions is that they 
want to be taking a more proactive stance in this area of, of, of fair lending risk in particular, and that they understand that there is a real revenue opportunity for them in doing this. There's an obvious risk reduction piece, right? That The risk reduction piece is clear, right? My compliance department's going to be super happy. Should a regulator ever come knocking, I'm going to have some great things to show them. You know, it's going to help me with internal audit. All that kind of risk reduction piece is kind of the first piece that really resonates in, the, in, in their mind. But what I'm excited about that we're in the early innings of, but we're seeing it from folks, is this, this understanding or this recognition that if I can be saying yes to that incremental borrower that previously I said no to, right, and I can do it in a way that shows me, hey, that increment like picks out going to my 80% um, have have uh, never defaulted on credit yet. Fifty percent uh, uh, have access to prime credit, right? If I can find that thirty percent, right, there are tremendous revenue opportunities for me, right? If I can be that lender that's saying yes when everybody else is saying no, that is very good for my bottom line. So that that recognition again mentioned, we're kind of in the early innings of it, but we're seeing it. Um, and that's, I would say, the the piece we're really excited about because we expected the risk reduced piece. Sure. But the the understand the revenue opportunity piece is, is I think, really exciting and really promising. Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right there. And if you look at what that 30% means in terms of real numbers, like actual human beings who um, will turn into potential customers. And then again, the ripple effect of what happens to each of those human beings in their own communities and their own families who are all of a sudden now able to take a much greater control uh, over their financial futures, you, you start to really see the the scope the of, of what trillion. we're playing for. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah, now all of a sudden that 13 trillion, trillion right? number, maybe <laughs> yeah, you, you can imagine, here's how you got to it. Um, we have time for one more question. And um, I just want to close by by kind of asking, what do you see, you know, if you, if you take a couple of steps way back, what do you see as yeah. the biggest hurdle that we need to overcome in this industry in order to get to a place where we can actually eliminate bias in banking, or maybe not eliminate it altogether, but get it down to at least something approaching an acceptable level? Yeah, it's a great question. And and again, I, I think more, I always use the term mitigation because I think, you know, elimination is would be great, but is is um it can assume that like we get to this place and then we we get to stop working on it, right? right. I yeah. think uh, that's not realistic, right? It's going to have to be it's it's kind of cyclical and, and and again, it's not a set it and forget it thing. Um but, you know, how do we get to the the mitigation piece? You know, one, it, it's it's going to a lot of the points that you brought up today, Greg, right, of, of kind of taking that proactive stance and having financial institutions take that proactive stance to not feel um, attacked uh, when dealing with these issues of, of fairness or, or bias detection and mitigation to recognize that it's not an individual's fault. It's not one person's fault. It's not um, you know, someone's a bad person, um, and that's the reason that this is happening. It's ingrained in our it's ingrained in our system. It's ingrained in our data. So first, you know, that's kind of the first piece that I think we've made a lot of progress on. We still have a little bit more to make so that people don't feel um, kind of attacked when these issues are, are brought up um, uh, or potential solutions are posed. And then, you know, the next thing, and this is probably the bigger hurdle, is is this ability to really 
not just understand how data is being used to make decisions, right? That's really one important piece of the transparency side. So understand how data is fueling decisions, but then be able to change it. Yeah. And I think that that's the piece that is forgotten sometimes in these talks of transparency, right? We all know black box is bad. So now everybody claims that they have transparency, right? Like, you know, you know, just sprinkle some transparency on it. But when you actually dig down into it and you say, okay, transparent to whom, right? Like who can actually understand this? And then, oh, if you can actually understand it, how easy is it for you to change it, right? And change yeah. the system, right? And use, you know, one of our, 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 our taglines is where AI meets IQ, right? Use the data, right? Get information from the data, but then also allow humans to override it in certain places and correct it, which is so important in the in the areas of, of bias as well. So having that kind of differing level of visibility or transparency such that you can not just see how things are working, but actually make a change, I think is the hardest piece right now um, that, that we really think we have a, a real significant role to play in, in providing for financial institutions such that they can do it. Yeah, no, I mean, I think it's it's awesome to hear you talk about the way you guys are approaching things, because there's a lot that just makes so much kind of intuitive sense. And when you look at the size of the opportunity, you look at um, the real concrete need, not just for the end customers, but for the financial institutions that serve them. You know, as we look forward and you look at the next five or 10 years, there's going to be major changes to the way the major. financial services industry operates and the way that it you know serves its customers. And I think this is one of those areas where people who can figure this out, and, and I think, you know, to your point, again, there's a long way to go. There's, it, you kind of talk about at the end, there's the complexity of the problem is obviously immense, but mm -hmm. there's so much good that can come from it that it's not difficult at all to see why your message resonated so well with our audience and why you were able to leave the show uh, with, with a trophy in hand. So um, we'll have to leave it there. But I really appreciate the time that you took chatting with us. Congratulations again on that best of show win, um, and, and all the best as you look to uh, you know take this into the, the level that it has to be taken to in order to be successful. Thank you so much, Greg, and thank you for this opportunity. Love chatting with you. The Finnovate podcast is produced by Informa Connect in association with Provoke.fm Media. Check out Finnovate.com for information on Finnovate's upcoming shows and to learn how you can get involved. The discount code Finnovate Podcast will save you 20% on tickets to all of our events. And you can email us at info at for information on sponsoring, speaking, or demoing. Thanks for listening.